I have Karen King Orozco mm -hmm. on the podcast today. Karen and I met, I think probably in 2019. We were just trying to figure it out somehow through social media and or photography and or our mutual friend, Hannah. Don't mm -hmm. really know, don't remember, doesn't matter. Karen is a mother, a photographer, an event producer, an herbal aromatherapist and master gardener. She's also a Mexican immigrant and has a son with disabilities. And um, I'm really excited to talk to her about um, a variety of topics, but particularly immigration, uh, what it's like growing up as, an, as a U.S. immigrant, um, raising two children, but raising a child with disabilities and gardening and everything within that realm. So, Karen, is there anything else that you want to say about yourself as an introduction? Yeah, um, so I think you summed it up pretty well. I would say that one thing I was going to add there, and it's like kind of cheesy, but I feel like I'm a steward to the planet um, or the earth, however you want to say it. I think my whole life I've been really focused on way, and I'm by no means perfect at it, but ways to to leave this place better than I found it, um, whether it be through motherhood, through gardening, or my work. Um, and I've been lucky in that Currently, I'm working in a space where I do get to do that and I get to connect with other people doing the same thing. So that's really Im important to me. And, and also through a lot of my journey of being an immigrant and a parent of a child with disabilities, um, that, that I always keep an open mind and yeah. I'm inclusive to all people because um, I've, had, I've had my challenges throughout my life. So, so those things always resonate and stay within within me as I go through my journey. Personally, I've always connected to others who maybe haven't had what you would say the typical journey yeah. is. Um, and, and again, that's not to like exclude anybody, no. but I most often feel comfortable with people who I can be my total self with and mm -hmm. don't have to not share those really sticky parts of my life. Um, and I try to do that trans as transparent as possible and like as comfortable as I can be. Um, but there was a time when I was growing up, and we'll get into more of that later, um, when I didn't really let anybody know what was going on. And most specifically, because I was going through it at the time, and it was almost a risk to share mm -hmm. what I was going through. Um, and so I'm, I made a promise to myself as I was getting older that I wouldn't do that. Um, and and lots of therapy sessions after, like mm -hmm. it's been really an important part of my journey to share those sticky parts. Yeah. And it's always great to find someone that I don't have to like. Preface things. Or... Yeah, or <laughs> just like, you know, I was thinking about it the other day, I got invited on a play date and I was really excited. And then I had this thought in my brain where I was like, oh, they don't know about Asher. Mm. Should I tell them about him or should I just not say anything and show up? Yeah. And what if I say something and then maybe they cancel, but it has nothing to do with him. And then it'll make me feel like it's because I shared. But yeah. I, I've always appreciated when you share about your journey because mm -hmm. I can connect with that. Yeah. Um, and it helps other people. Yeah. I think sometimes I struggle with feeling like, geez, Morgan, nobody cares. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, um, or it feels, it feels like almost self-exploitative. Like, uh -huh. 
like oversharing. Yeah. But the thing that I'm reminded of over and over, and this is not unique to me, this is anybody, but what I'm reminded of over and over, especially when I start to feel that way, like, oh my gosh, like I'm oversharing or nobody cares is inevitably someone like you is like, hey, I'm really glad that you shared that. And mm-hmm. then they'll share something with me that they've been going through that yeah. they haven't talked about. And it's just, I think it's, um, you know, nobody wants to be negative or like focusing on the negative or the challenging things. Mm-hmm. But I think it also by acknowledging it and talking about it has a way of opening us up to each other. And, and that's why I continue to do it because, because I think it, it creates like, it establishes a more real connection with people Yeah. when they don't see just like the glossy version of you, but the thing, the shit that you go through, um, because we, and every human connects to that because we all have those things, you know, whether we grew up with a chronic illness like I did or have a challenging immigrant story like you have or are raising a child with disabilities, um, every, or, you know, maybe you have none of those things. And on the outside, your life has been like pretty great, but you struggle with things internally that nobody knows about. It's like, everybody's got something. And when we're more open with that, I think we can connect with each other on a more, like real level in a right. more meaningful way. So yeah. I think it's important. I think it allows me to show up in places um, and be myself. Um, and for people, and it allows people to understand why when I show up, I am the way that I am. Can we back up a little bit? Yeah. And I want to, I want to hear about little Karen and your, um, your childhood and coming to the United States, uh, your immigration story. Yeah, so the beginning of that story is, I think, May or April of 2000, um, when I was 10. And my family moved here in 2000, and um, my dad moved here first, uh, months before we did. And um, it was really an economical crisis. Um, And my dad was a cattle rancher, and that's all he ever did. And then things got really complicated in that market and um my dad lost his entire business um and one part of the story that is a a little bit harder for me to talk about is that my dad was an alcoholic and so as things got harder that disease consumed him even more Mm. and so he um moved to the u.s before we moved with him which is very common with families one parent or one family member, sometimes the kids stay behind. Um, and he didn't want to be on his own. So so we moved to Kansas City with him. We moved and my parents didn't assimilate very well together. And so they actually ended up separating, mm-hmm. um, which I've, I have learned now that's also very common um, because there's culture shock. And then obviously he had an alcohol problem that followed him because it follows you everywhere you go obviously and um it was it was very hard it was very different than what our life was like in Mexico before everything changed um and when we were in Mexico we had a pretty stable life up until things cost everything to be where where it needed to be for us to move fast forward to 2003 we're trying to make the best of it we're um, a little bit more assimilated. 
I'm in school. I think at this point I already spoke English. I mean, it didn't, doesn't take very long when you're a kid to pick it up. Yeah. So in 2003, my uncle passed away and that was like the moment everything changed. He was my dad, my dad's brother. And I always start with that because they, um, my, my brother and him went to his funeral and when they were returning, they, um, they were deported. Your dad and your brother. My dad and my brother. And it's always really challenging to explain this because um, I think that some people may not be aware. We had a lawyer who was supposed to facilitate all of this. And rather than actually facilitating, they took all of my mom's money. And my brother spent six months in a, in a jail, which is what you would what you would now refer to as like a detention, a center? detention center. Yeah. So he was in a detention center for six months with my dad. With an American lawyer? Yes. Um, <clears throat> he's passed away now. So it's kind of a little bit more freeing to talk about it. Yeah. But when I share this story with lawyers and other people that are immigrants, it's not like new, right? you know, the, and it makes sense because there are people who are taking advantage of immigrants and and that's well, when you have no legal recourse because you're not citizen i mean or you're in the country you have no choice i mean what are you gonna you have to rely on yeah. them doing what they say they're gonna do yeah and there's no recourse if they don't exactly and and my mom didn't speak english so i mean she was doing her best and and it's always murky of like why why did your family come here and it's like if your family were not if they if they were on the verge of like starving and not having their needs met wouldn't you seek a better opportunity whether it be permanent or not i mean yeah that's sort of when i go back to it and and i always talk about um because i think I'm, I'm a i'm technically classified as a dreamer because of my age range and sort of when the dream act started that's you know, I did a lot of advocacy for it and would go to rallies and things like that. Can you just really quick, I'm familiar with what it is, but the Dream can Act. you explain yeah. it a little bit for people who might not be? So the DREAM Act is an act that was created to help those of us who arrived to the U.S. before the age of 16 during a certain period to help us have a path of um, some sort of either permanent residency or you know, a path to citizenship is what people usually say. And unfortunately, that's never actually happened. It's it's this it's this thing that's been tossed around. And so a lot of a lot of folks have a um, like a temporary type of permission to be in the United States, and they have to renew it ever so often. Um, you know, some of us grew up and got married. So that happened. Um, and yeah anyway so that's what the dream act is and that started happening around the time i graduated high school so that was during obama's that was during the obama era, era. and um at that time if i talk about all of the ways that i was affected to be undocumented is um there were no colleges that really accepted you undocumented and at the time when i was going through this johnson county community college was the only one but you had to pay um, tuition as if you were international. Mm -hmm. So it was very, exp I mean, it cost as much as, as if I was going to a four-year college. Right. Um, so that even that was like very challenging at the time. It's gone a lot 
better now as far as like colleges accepting uh, others and like the DREAM Act wasn't really a thing yet. It wasn't actually functioning the way that when it is now. School, yeah. Whereas school. now some, you know, those, those, those of us who were able to get it, um, then you were able to go to a college, but you just, mm. there were limitations to it and it depended on the college or the state. Right. So, but back to the, my brother being in, in, in this detention center for six months, um, my mom had to then travel to Mexico, which is so confusing, but we had visas. Like it, we had this situation where we had visas, um, but because of this situation with this lawyer and all of that, it messed up what my brother was going through. Um, and it's very, it's very complicated to even like, it, when you when it when you get down to it, it's like it was just a really messed up thing that happened. Yeah. And he was at the wrong place at the wrong time. I mean, he was traveling by bus. It's not like he was doing anything wild. He was literally traveling by bus. And if you are not traveling by bus and you are getting to the U.S. in a method that is alternative, like that's also okay um, in my mind. And so, so beyond that. Uh, my mom had to leave for Mexico and left me with my aunt for months um, as a 13-year-old. And so I always think back to that, and I used to be, like, totally fine with it. And I'm like, holy cow. Like, why was – how did I even do okay? Like, suddenly – You were, like, nine? Eight? I was 13 oh, at you the were time, 13. which okay. is also really – I was not okay. Let's just – that's a very challenging age too. Yeah. Um, I went through a lot of depression through a lot of self-harm, um, and was, uh, depressed. I, I mean, it was really, really hard on me for several years, like to the point where there were friends of mine at school who like told on me so that I would be seen by a counselor because I wouldn't admit to what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so it definitely took a toll on my mental health. And it makes sense now, like, I didn't have my mom for a while. I didn't have my brother. I didn't have my dad. Um, so every sense of security was completely gone. And you're in a new country. In a new country. you're learning a new language. I mean, at that point, I guess you spoke English, but still. I it's mean, still, like, very new. And I'm, and culturally I'm sitting different. with my aunt, and one of my aunts was not very nice. And, uh, you know the movie Matilda? Yes. <laughs> like, What's like that lady's name? The... This is Trenchbull. Like, that's the vibe <laughs> that my aunt had. Oh my um, she was, like, not the greatest human being. And bless her heart, she probably had a lot of trauma herself. Yeah. Uh, but so I actually, in the middle of that, chose to move to my other aunt's house because I just didn't feel great in this space. And, like, I feel like there were her, and, and I know this is going to get aired, so I'm not going to say any names, but there was a lot of, um, drug use and um, lots of behavior that shouldn't have been happening in that household that I was exposed to at 13. And so I'm proud of myself now if I were to talk to my 13-year-old self mm-hmm. for saying, I need out of this place. I'm yeah. going to go to this other place. And so I did, and it was a much safer environment That's for me. Like really brave self-advocacy at such a young age. Yeah, I think I was also like in survival mode you know um but yeah i mean i think throughout my teens i made a lot of decisions and i was telling you earlier that i did nothing that would risk 
mm-hmm. myself getting in trouble because it meant I would then get deported. And like I saw the sacrifices that my parents had made to get us, despite of the trouble that we, I mean, it's also like we went through so much to get here. Yeah. And so I didn't want to jeopardize that. But my mom's always said that I've always been like the worry word and the, mm-hmm. the, like she would tell me to cross the street and I wouldn't cross the street. She'd be like, there's no cars. And I would just like look both ways like a hundred times. So I've always been that person. Very cautious. Yeah. So I would take that. And everyone always says I take things very literally. And I, I do. That's actually like a bad thing about me. Yeah. <laughs> like so literal. So I took it very literal to like not do any of those things that would, could, you know, have some risk. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. So that, that was the initial, um, obstacle and then you know there were obstacles every every which way you go I couldn't get a license when I turned 16 um and at the time there was some like law where I could if my dad were in the country but my dad was not he couldn't come to the country so he couldn't sign it off then they changed the law so I couldn't get one um so I was completely undocumented and it started to become more real because I was no longer a child mm-hmm. and I was becoming an adult and any job that I had, I was doing it undocumented. Mm-hmm. Um, so many risks that I was taking and all of this while my brother was unable to come to the U S um, in fact, he still is not able to come to the U S we've talked wow. to, I mean, I want to say six or seven lawyers at this point. Um, and we might have finally found someone who's, might take the case and that doesn't mean that it might go anywhere it just means that they are like i like a difficult case so i'll look into it um so it's it's been a really long 19 year journey and And you guys just recently like like saw each other for the first time yeah so so we saw each other for the first time in 19 years back in december um and it's like a blur in my mind because we saw each other for two weeks and i was like this is like not even enough time to catch up to catch up but it was amazing like we got in a car together and we're like we've never driven each other anywhere you know like we had all yeah. these like first and he's like almost 40 so oh my gosh that's we're half like, of his life and more than half of yours yeah that you would spend a part yeah and we've stayed connected you know we used to do like skype back in the day and mm-hmm. then now we facetime each other so it's and it's i always say like it's been really hard for me but it's been 10 times harder for him to be he's where he's by at himself. He's by himself. You and your mom are here. Yeah. Is your dad here too? My, so that, that is a part of the story that, um, I laugh and it's not funny at all, but my, my dad passed away in 2015 when I was pregnant with my daughter. Um, and he, he did pass away because of his alcohol use. Mm-hmm. Um, he had cirrhosis of the liver. So it's, it's not a pretty like story by any means. Um, but the, Silver lining, I guess, it, as I was telling you, I'm a very positive person, is the connection that I have with my brother, mm-hmm. um, that no matter the distance, it's stayed really strong. Well, that's really impressive. I mean, I, th- I would think that that would be difficult to maintain a fully virtual mm-hmm. relationship for almost 20 years. I mean, granted, of course, you're siblings, but but still, you have very, like, he has his life in Mexico and you have your life here. I feel like it would be easy to like diverge from each other and do your own thing and disconnect. But I think that's really impressive that you guys have maintained such a close connection. We're very alike. So I think that's helped. Yeah. It was my mom and I for the longest time. 
I was like my mom and I against the world for mm-hmm. most of my childhood. Um, if we were getting an apartment, like I was interpreting for her or helping and, um, and that was definitely an obstacle of, um, even finding an apartment yeah. that would take someone that was undocumented. What, what did that look like? And my mom now she's a, she officiates weddings, which is like, so cute. it's super cute. Aww. And also she does it for, uh, mostly immigrants and, Aww. um, Spanish speaking folks. And she helps them through the process because yeah. it is a pro it's a process to like go to the courthouse, get all the documents. Yeah. And so she interprets for them. And a lot of them are people that are going to be going through the citizenship process. And so she's translating for them and helping them. Um, and, and she's met some really interesting people along the way, but it's really fun that she gets to do that now after all of the experiences that she had. Yeah. That she had. Mm-hmm. You know, something that <clears throat> I think we hear and that the immigrants, especially Mexican immigrants and people from Spanish speaking countries face in the United States too often, like I have, so I speak Spanish and, mm-hmm. um, it was, I mean, it took me well over a decade to get to any le- like level of fluency. Like it's right. not easy learning a language and, and it was challenging for me coming from a position of privilege and access. You know, I, I took Spanish, I mean, granted <laughs> language classes in American high schools are like nothing to rave about, but, but I had access to it in high school and mm-hmm. college and then had the ability to travel abroad to learn more. And, and I didn't have to for my survival. Like it was, yeah, just... I was going to say the survival part of it is really where yeah. you have to, or you're not going to make it. Yeah. So like it was, you know, kind of a leisure leisurely thing for me and it was still extremely challenging and I didn't have the stress of like needing to know Spanish um, mm-hmm. to, you know, get a driver's license to you know, do all the things that you have to do to, right. in order to survive. But I feel like there's such an attitude in maybe not everywhere. I hate to generalize, but in large pockets of the U S where there's this attitude towards, um, particularly Mexican immigrants and Spanish speaking immigrants. It's like, just learn English. Like, mm-hmm. Why don't you just speak English? Yeah. And there's such like a disdain almost for people who, who quote, haven't taken the time mm-hmm. to learn English and come here and only speak Spanish. Yeah. So I'm wondering if you can speak to yeah. the challenges. I can of share my mom, English. my mom's story because my story is a little bit different in that I got here when I was 10 and I think that's like the cusp of you're going to have an accent. You're not going to have an accent type Mm -hmm. of thing. Um, and it was like scary. And I remember kids being mean in class. Like I have one specific memory where a girl was like, you know, tricked me into doing something or saying something that was inappropriate and I had no idea. Um, and it's funny that I like, I'll never forget that that happened, but my mom, didn't speak English until her late forties, early fifties. And she moved here in her, let's see, 2000. So she was probably in her late thirties. Um, and she worked with a prime, like primarily Hispanic community cause she was a hairstylist and an esthetician. And so she didn't, didn't really use or need to use English because of where she was working. And she always, and has always to this day been really, great about preserving our Spanish. Mm. So she corrects me all the time. And, you know, 
speak Spanish to my kids. And it, that's very important. It's always been really important to her. And so she made sure that I was still speaking Spanish at home. And I, I do sometimes think that because she made sure of that, you set, set her back. And she went to uh, English classes for years. I mean, years and years. She went to a community college and took classes. And her English is great now. I mean, you can definitely tell it's her second language, but she's really awesome with it. And she, you know, put a lot of work into making sure she went to those classes every evening to make yeah. sure that she learned. Well, I think that's really great that she preserved Spanish at home because mm -hmm. I know that a lot of families, when they're trying to assimilate to a yeah. new culture, it, <clears throat> you know, seen as like in their best interest to leave the, your native culture behind right. and replace it with the new one so that you can better fit into the new culture mm -hmm. and so that you're not seen as an outsider. And so like sometimes people, you know, will encourage their kids not to speak Spanish, for yeah. example, because they want them to be seen as like a normal kid in yeah. schools, in, you know, in the school and in the I think my mom was the opposite of that. Here. And that's so great. She, I she like shamed like, me into not That she bucked that and was like, yeah. no, like this is our culture and we're going to preserve this. Yeah. And it's interesting because I, I had a period of time where I, I was really angry at my mom or like upset um, because she, I think, I think I didn't understand what was going on when like my, my dad got deported and um, um, not, not angry, but just like confused why some of these things were so important to her and yeah I'm like we're trying to survive here you know and so I do remember like at least my freshman year of high school um everybody knew most of my story in middle school because I, I went to a bilingual school mm -hmm. and so a lot of us had similar stories or one parent was American one parent was from a Spanish-speaking country but when I went to high school it was like a fresh start mm -hmm. so I told nobody that I spoke Spanish or anything about my immigration story. And I just sort of assimilated. Mm. And um, I'm, I'm a, one of those people who can do that. Mm -hmm. I can assimilate and people might not know. And so um, it did create kind of an identity crisis for me yeah. in high school to, because I was dressing and behaving and doing the things and I wanted to be and act and um, yeah. hang out like an American. And, but it caused a lot of internal issues of like, I don't look like my peers. Mm -hmm. And that was really hard on me personally. So it didn't last forever because it just couldn't, it was too much to yeah. keep up with. And, and I went to a pretty big school. So like 1800 kids. So as I remember, as, as I got to my senior year, I was totally like more myself and appreciated this, those parts of me but I didn't want anyone to know that we were undocumented and yeah. we didn't have the typical house like we lived in an apartment there were all these superficial things that I like really cared about well, for fear of judgment yeah and I didn't want anyone to know that I didn't have a license like that was you know I didn't want them to know and so I played every or I played sports and I was in every play I could be in and I did you know all the things and sometimes now when I'm doing all the things, I'm like, why are you doing all the yeah. things? What are you trying to do? Yeah. What am I trying to do here? Slow, slow down because you don't have to prove anybody. It was all about proving to people that I could be just like them. Yeah. That just because I had this background 
that it didn't mean that I couldn't accomplish things that they accomplished, which is really exhausting. Well, it's imp- I'm sure you figured out through therapy and through yeah. self-reflection that that's what you were doing because it can be confusing. I mean, it it can come off as like just ambition. I'm just doing this. Like you're just ambitious mm-hmm. and you're driven. Um, yeah, which you probably, you know, are those things too. Yeah, for sure. You have to kind of stop and evaluate and ask yourself like, wait, why am I trying? Why am I striving so hard? Like, what am I trying to do? Yeah, I have to have those checkpoints till to this day. And I'm like, why am I doing all these things? What do I have to like, prove to everybody that I can do this? Yeah. Um, Because then it loses the meaning of it, I think. Yeah. I want to switch gears a little bit and, and talk about, um, your life as a mom oh yes so you have boston who is finishing up second grade Mm -hmm. yeah um your daughter and then you have asher who is is he two yet yeah he's two now he's two yeah he just turned two so um so i met you when you were pregnant with asher Mm -hmm. i took your maternity photos and um you just had Boston and she's this little firecracker. Oh my like, gosh. Yes. Oh my gosh. Little spunky ball of energy. <laughs> um, and so during your pregnancy, like you thought it was like, it was a healthy, normal pregnancy, right? Yeah. And it's interesting now reflecting on the fact that you took her family photos. Cause I don't think I saw very many people during that time. Cause mm-hmm. it was, so I had Asher in 2021 so that we were barely like, comfortable doing anything with yeah. anybody and we did it outside we did it outside um and you came out to our farm which is where we were living so our life has shifted in so many ways in the last few in the last two years that big asher shifts, was born like several big shifts yeah so i i want to go back to boston so boston is um she was my well she's my first kid but she was uh born in 2015 so there was a good gap between mm-hmm. my kids and she is phenomenal with Asher. Mm-hmm. She is uh, very understanding and has had a lot thrown at her in the last two years. And she's like been a rock star. The only times that I've noticed her kind of uncomfortable is when we go to some therapy sessions and, and it's, there's so much attention on Asher. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's very, that's very hard on, on an, on a kid. Um, because we're there and it's, it's not about, you know, a dance class. It's about development and, um, it's not something fun. Yeah. It's not fun. Even though it might look fun to her, you know, it's a bit confusing. So I just want to acknowledge that. And, and when I talk about Asher, sometimes I'm like, Oh, I don't talk about Boston and she's incredible. And it's real. it's, it can be challenging. And it's funny because, when I talk about my immigration story, I don't get emotional anymore mm. because I've talked about it for so long. But this is a little bit more raw. So yeah. my apologies. Well, if I he's get... your baby. They're yeah. your babies. So well, I'll give you a second. Um, <laughs> so I grew up as one of three kids with CF. All three of us had CF. So there was we were all always in the same boat. But I remember mm. it, it. It's uncommon for for more than one kid in a, it, I mean, it happens, but it's uncommon for more than one kid in a family to have cystic fibrosis. So I remember, um, so, so there was a family that, uh, we knew growing up and the, the daughter had cystic fibrosis and the son was healthy mm-hmm. and the mother always, you know, I don't know how she felt obviously, but when, 
people would ask about him because he was the one who was he he was ill and so people would say oh how's he doing and she'd be like oh he's doing great thanks for asking and and my daughter's doing well too <laughs> yeah and like insert that mm -hmm. and it just like makes you realize like oh like people don't mean to but oh no focus, absolutely not the focus is on yeah you know naturally on the child who yeah. has like things going on mm -hmm. the healthy child kind of gets you know the back seat a little bit because it's like people just assume like well she's fine yeah well and it's helped that she's a little bit older so they're not yes. like Competing. going through the same things yeah. um and for the longest time i thought boston was going to be our only child like mm. we really thought that that was it and so she was my whole world yeah i mean like entirely and i remember thinking like guilty for even thinking i was gonna have another kid Aww. because because she was so much of my like yeah. world um and josiah's always traveled with his job so her, it's sort of like my mom and i mm -hmm. it was her and i doing all these things and we have a great connection we're very similar um so yeah so i i always love to share about her and i don't i don't, yes. I don't want her to feel that because asher has a disability that we only talk about him right um and, and also with Asher, you were sharing earlier, like, am I sharing too much of this? Um, and it's a struggle sometimes because I'm like, I don't know if I want to post on my social media that he's experiencing this. Yeah. But then at the same time, when I do, people reach out and say, hey, thanks for sharing this. Yeah. Or they understand when I show up in a place, what is going on. Um, well, and I imagine it's even harder for you because it's, I mean, it is your story because you're his mother, but it's, it's hit like he's the one experiencing yes the disabilities mm -hmm. so it's like and he's too young still to say like right mom i'm okay with you sharing this or no i'm not yes i have that struggle on a daily yeah. basis and I, and and the struggle of like this is his journey and like i'm going along with it and and i've talked to other parents who have older kids with disabilities and they've shared with me like it changes like because they'll get older and you might share less and right. that's fine. So it's, it's a balance. And then I also see, um, you know, one thing I've told myself is like, this is not going to become my identity entirely mm -hmm. because that can happen. Um, and I was, I, I shared on another podcast, which was like all about like con connection and, and keeping, protecting your kids from, social media. Mm -hmm. And so that weighs heavy on me. And sometimes I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, I just want to say that I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> like well, that's my the, children the don't truth. have disabilities, but I, I feel that same struggle yeah. with them. I'm, you know, and I go through phases where I share nothing because I like same. freak out and I'm like, <gasps> I shouldn't this is not my, like, I shouldn't do this. Like, yeah. is it even safe? And so mm -hmm. I think that's a very unique struggle of mothers of this era, generation. Yeah, this generation. for sure. Yeah. And, it, and I, I want to say that because I think I've said it a few times and, and I think others are feeling that same way. Um, but then there's like entire accounts built on children who have, you know, a disability or a Down syndrome and they have been super helpful to me mm -hmm. because like you said, I didn't know when I was pregnant that anything was about to happen. Um, I don't know if I was, if I missed something, I don't go back and tell myself and I was lucky that I was in therapy already so I don't go back and shame myself for like not catching something mm -hmm. but I was very isolated because of the pandemic mm -hmm. and I was living in the country so it's not like I didn't see anybody and it had been a while month. since your last pregnancy and I had yeah I hadn't been pregnant in five years five and a half years 
And so it was like a new experience to me. And so it, maybe, maybe I missed something and, you know, but, but at the same time, like it was so out of my control. So I found out kind of when he was born that something was going on. Um, and it took a while, didn't it? It like did. And yeah, it took a while to diagnose. But I'm careful with that because there are parents who still don't have a diagnosis. And we got lucky that we, it's like a double-edged sword. We, mm-hmm. we got lucky that we found out. Um, he, he had a couple of situations that were life-threatening mm-hmm. and it sped up the process of him doing genetics. But we have people in the group with his disability, which is called OTS2. It's, it's a very rare genetic disorder that has, it's a chromosomal deletion. And we have a Facebook group for us parents and, you know, kids show up on that group and they are four and they just got genetic testing. Um, but how many people are like known to have odds too? So I think I want to say it's around 200 worldwide. So it's very small and there's one research paper on it. Um, and just for context, cystic fibrosis is a rare disease, but there's 70,000 people yeah. worldwide who have cystic fibrosis. Yeah. So this is very it's rare. Tiny. Yeah. And they did a research paper on 13 individuals and it, oh. it doesn't, it really presents differently on each kiddo. There are some similarities, but it's a very broad spectrum. Um, so one kid could be talking at four whereas the other one might not talk till they're six. I mean, it's just, it doesn't provide all the answers that you think it's going to provide, mm-hmm. but it did provide a community where I can go and say, yeah. hey, my kiddo's having this, has anyone else experienced it? Or, hey, I'm feeling this way. Can anybody tell me, like, have you ever felt this way? Or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very intimate setting. And um, we found out through Asher having... Um, congenital heart defects and um, feeding difficulties. He had an emergency surgery for something called pyloric stenosis, which is also rare, but not as rare as, I think it's like, I'm not even going to say the number because it's just like, it's rare, but it happens and people know about it. Um, is and that so, a separate disability? It, no, it's, um, so it, when that happened, it usually happens at two months and there's a sphincter in their stomach that like shuts. And so mm-hmm. everything that he was eating was not co- going down. It was just coming up. Mm-hmm. So he went to the hospital and, and was almost dead, essentially. Um, Is it that was, when you had to drive like two hours to the hospital? So we drove two hours to the hospital that day as fast as we could. And we actually met an ambulance on the way there um, to check his vitals because we weren't sure if he was going to make it, which is really, really scary. Um but then after that hospital stay, when he was stable, we had to drive to the hospital twice or three times a week from the farm, which was kind of like a four-hour drive. If you... Round trip. Round trip, yeah. And it was like, we're going to the heart doctor, we're going to neurology, we're going to the ophthalmologist, we're going to the feeding clinic. Like, it was all the things. Um, so we, de- we decided to move because it was just not sustainable. And that really was a shift in our lifestyle because we had been living on a homestead since 2016, I think. So it definitely was we not the idea we had for ourselves. <laughs> yeah. So 
we transitioned to living in town and it's been a, been a hard transition. I'm sure we'll eventually end up back in the country, yeah. um, but not as, not as far away as we were before. So yeah, um, I think that with Asher, it's been a constant learning journey. And I do think that my immigration background has helped me in a lot of ways. Um, it's been like, it's struggle is not new and it's not, it's not a bad mm -hmm. thing. It's just, I know how to cope with it now. Mm -hmm. And, and I know that therapy is a healthy part of mm -hmm. the process. Uh, so I do that. And yeah, I think the, the hardest part of the journey with Asher is not knowing what the future looks like for him because no one can tell us because nobody knows. And so from the very beginning, the gen geneticist was like, Asher's going to tell you where he's going. We can't say one way or another because genetics are a tricky thing where it might present different for him. And there are things that he's doing now that we didn't expect. Mm. And there are things that he's not doing that you would expect a two-year-old to do. And so I think where it is challenging is if, if I, and it depends on the day and I'm not, I'm not, um, nobody's perfect, but I think it's when I compare my situation to someone else that it gets really challenging emotionally and I'm able to snap out of it pretty quickly and I just have to look at him and it completely changes mm -hmm. what I'm thinking because mm -hmm. I because he's this whole human being and so there's so much to him that if I ever do that there's like a moment of guilt and then quickly there's a moment of acceptance mm -hmm. like oh wait a minute he's amazing this is the journey we're walking and he's like a super happy kid. He's like smiling. He smiles all the time. Um, and so the, he always reminds us of like, I'm fine. Like yeah. this is, and, and his pediatrician told me very early. She's like, he doesn't know this is his reality. Yeah. Like this is, it's his normal. This is his normal and you're, you're in his journey. And so it's really my mind, my brain that's like yeah. tricking me. Well, you're the one as the mom seeing other families with kids the same age as yours who don't have a disability and mm -hmm. the things that they're doing. And, you know, I think, I think just culturally and maybe just like, it's just part of being human. We compare mm -hmm. and like benchmark ourselves against what, what other, mm -hmm. whatever the category, like what other parents are doing, what other people's kids are doing and we we want to like quote measure up but it's like each kid is on their own path and I have a friend who reached out to me um, she has a two-year-old who they recently found out was diagnosed with autism mm -hmm. and she was like you know it's really hard but the exact same thing you said she's like but then I look at him and I just want to be his biggest advocate like he right. is he is amazing the way he is yeah but you know one of the things she said is like he's uh, over two now and hasn't said mama yet mm -hmm. hasn't said mom mama mommy and um she was like you know that's really hard it is like, hard yeah. yeah yeah so I think and what you're saying like when when I share about him 
if another mom who has a kid, because Asher's diagnosis is odds too, but it comes with uh, autism. It comes with, for him particularly, comes with something called dystonia, which affects his muscle movement. Um, and so when I share about it, it's advocating for the things that other parents might be going through and for him. And that is one of my biggest worries with him is how he will be perceived outside because right now he's in a bubble with me. Nice. Yeah. Very safe. He's going to um, a Mother's Day out daycare mm. um, twice a week in the fall because I want him to experience being around other kids. And I was so nervous about it because no other daycare will take take him with his disabilities. Like it's a very complicated process. And I haven't shared much about the healthcare system and all of that and the obstacles that we face based on that. But I found this place that will take him. And um, that sounds really bad, but like they're, they're totally <laughs> equipped. And that's yeah. the thing too. I called like all these places and they're like, they just, you can tell that they're they, scared. They're, they're scared or they don't have the experience. Yeah. And so I called this other place and we went the other day and I feel totally fine. Like I think Good. he'll, he'll be totally fine. Um, but it is like scary because I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm dropping you off. None of like, we've all been around you. He, he's nonverbal at this point. He communicates to certain signs, but he also communicates with me in a way that only I understand mm -hmm. and nobody <laughs> else does. And so, but the lady reassured me, she's like, we'll start to understand yeah. his cues and, you know, maybe he'll pick up a few things from the other kids. And, um, but one thing about him is that he does make his needs known, even if you don't understand him. I've seen your videos of him on Instagram. Yeah. He's noisy. He's so noisy. And, I, and I'm always like, I don't expect his noises to turn into words like at this point. Um, and he has a AC device, um, but it's a, it's a iPad with an app that has symbols for him to like hmm. be able to pictures okay. to be able to communicate, which he doesn't really, he's just kind of figuring it out yeah. right now, but he has it. Um, but yeah, he's very noisy and I'm like, somehow you're going to communicate eventually like yeah and he, i don't know what that's going to look like but you're already trying to tell yeah, us he wants lot. to communicate he does yeah um so it always amazes me that he like finds ways to do things so i took him yeah. to his mother's day place and mother's day out and he um was trying to do what all the other kids were doing <laughs> which was really dangerous what were they doing they were jumping on this it looks like a tire and it has like these poles. So they were all jumping on it and okay. he was trying to get on it. And I'm like, slow down, buddy. Slow down. <laughs> and then he was trying to go down the slide and like, he can't walk yet. And all these kids are trying to go down the slide. So he's like trying to do what they're doing. And so I'm like, this is a great drive that you have. Yeah. But, like you are scaring your mom. Yeah. Like he's super terrifying because he oh. thinks he can do these things. But it's great to see him trying to do those things, but it is going to be a, uh, because he gets frustrated yeah, and or wants something and he can't say. So I usually tell him like, okay, lead me to whatever it is that you want. Show me. Yeah. Show me what it is that you want. Cause I don't, I'm not understanding what you're saying. Um, so it's taught me so much patience to, I'm way more patient with Boston now mm -hmm. than I was before. Um, Probably have like such a greater understanding of like the learning process and like yeah. development of you know, what, what's going on in their mm -hmm. brains as they're trying to figure out their world. I'm constantly reminded when I go to all of his therapy sessions, um, by all the experts of like what 
development phase he's in or like what kids go through and like how like down to like well he's not moving his leg this way because of this like there's so much that I've learned in the last two years yeah um and that's why I like to share some of you know I, I try to be mindful of him and but I still like to share some of the things that we're experiencing because um when I first found out about Asher's um diagnosis I desperately literally searched the hashtag aughts too Mm -hmm. to see if there was anyone out there this was before I had the Facebook group just to see if anyone out there existed and what that kid might be like was there anything there was one woman who I found on Instagram and and I could if somebody did that to me I totally would have the same response she was phenomenal she told me everything didn't even know me she shared all of her the things that she was experiencing with her she daughter. Dying to like share it with. Oh somebody. yeah, I think she was like very much like, oh, I I can share this with you. So as you have learned more about um, Asher's disability and connected with other parents and and learned more about what other learn more about what other kids with aughts to what their journeys have looked like. What do you hope for Asher's future? So this is a question I think about all the time and I sort of keep myself from dreaming up what that might look like because it's kind of an unknown as I was sharing earlier. Um, And I've seen other kids and there there is a spectrum of this um, aughts too. And some kids have a diagnosis like Asher where, you know, he has dystonia in addition to what he has going on. And... um, even though we don't have an autism diagnosis, that is that there are some of those characteristics present. Um, And in the paper that I received from the geneticist with like the 50 things that could be, Mm. um, it said non-classical autism. And I had a really hard time with that. His diagnosis also said moderate based on where his deletion is, even though there's not enough research on whether that's true or not, but it's just something that we see. Um, And so I had a really hard time grasping moderate because mild, you kind of know what to expect. Severe, you sort of know. But moderate lives in this space uh, that's like, I'm not sure what that moderate is. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think my hopes for him, based on what we do know, is that I hope that he has other supportive people in his life in addition to his family. Um, and that he has a place where he belongs. My way of supporting him and sharing with others about him is that he feels like he belongs just like everybody else does. And right now he's extremely friendly and smiles all the time. And it's always been like a, a conversation piece for us because he's been through a lot but yet he smiles all the time and people look forward to seeing him at therapy because he has this big Mm -hmm. smile. So I hope that it, that, that his smile is an an infection to other people because he brings a lot of joy. And so I hope that that helps him as he gets older. But I also hope that he has the support from the system that he needs. There's a lot of waivers that we still have to fill um, that we're not, 
even able to fill out yet that will carry services for him for the rest of his life. Mm -hmm. And that is the reality of the way things are here in the United States and it varies by state. So if I could fast forward and see Asher having those, that support that he needs, I would feel comforted now for his sake. And, and I think that's the most challenging part of not knowing. Um, and I've heard of a lot of places for adults that, and I don't, again, I don't know what moderate means. So I don't know what to expect. What to expect. Is he going to need some sort of assisted living situation? There's a kiddo in the group who is going to college and Mm. he, he has needs and they're obvious, but you know, he's going to college. So, so I don't know what to expect, which I think it's like a big challenge as a parent. Which kind of brings me to language around talking about Mm -hmm. disability. I noticed that you said Asher has needs instead of special needs. And, you know, I, I just, in the last podcast episode with Max Kaniger, we talked about language and the evolution of the way that we talk about things. Like for example, the LGBTQIA plus mm-hmm. community, like that acronym has changed a lot. The words that we use that are acceptable or not yeah. acceptable has changed a lot. And it's the same for any, you know, group or community of people, um, and people with disabilities included, you know, like, yeah, like s- saying special needs is even kind of, um, What's the word? It's kind of outdated or... Kind of outdated, yeah, because yeah, it's like, well, why are they special needs? They're just needs. Yeah, it's a ch- challenge that... And I'm trying to listen to different sources because I'm the mom of a child with disabilities, not the person with mm-hmm. the disability. And so, and Asher does not have that level of comprehension at this point in his life. And so um, I'm part of a group on Facebook that is um, for AAC users. And anyone who is not an AAC user, which is the device for communication, Mm. um, is not allowed to comment for the first 24 hours. So you're Mm. literally just reading. Um, So I read a lot on there how people identify or how they're feeling about certain things, certain types of therapies, um, because there are some that are very harmful to um, kids who maybe are nonverbal or have autism. Um, And I don't, I feel like as I'm going through this journey, I'm trying to not be perfect at it. Yeah. And I hope would hope that others wouldn't expect me to be perfect. So if I don't say something correctly, yeah. um, it's because I'm still learning and yeah. things seem to be changing all the time. When when Asher was first born, I was not aware like maybe special needs was not because everywhere I look as far as like when we go to therapy and the hospital, it is that as special needs Mm -hmm. like that is I have been on a podcast that is the special needs mom like Mm. so it's it's a constant rethinking of what I should be using and honestly sometimes I'm like my energy is best spent helping him than like figuring out what the the correct term is yeah um but I think I'm also in this other space of uh this is a very rare 
syndrome that he has. And so sometimes we refer to ourselves as rare moms or, mm. or rare kiddos. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know how I feel about that either. You know, yeah. I'm not sure how it sits yet, but I have noticed some folks with disabilities, they, they don't like the term special needs. Yeah. Um, and I think it's sort of back to the immigrant story. Um, I hated the word illegal. I always yes, found I it really harmful. I said that earlier and then it's I okay. heard you say undocumented and I was like, oh, yeah. I've been conditioned to say illegal immigrants, which is yeah. not cool. And it used to really like upset me, but, but I just used undocumented because that's what I'm comfortable with. Yeah. Um, and I think certain people made illegal yes. worse Yes. Uh, because you can't put meaning to a word mm-hmm. by using it a certain way. But anyway, so it, it just, it, I'm open to hearing others say, and right now I feel like rare is a good word for where mm-hmm. we're at. I also think people sometimes are afraid to use the correct word. Yeah. Like it is a disability. Yeah. And, and as a parent, I've also had to accept to, that I have to use this word for my child. Like Asher has a disability. Mm-hmm. To say that out loud was very hard at first. Mm-hmm. Um, because Not it meant accepting to them as something. that and accepting like at the very beginning you you have this idea and I was there's a poem or story that our pediatrician gave us that is given to a lot of parents when they first find out that their kiddo has a diagnosis and it's um uh, I think it's something about Holland and how you think you're going to Holland, but you're not. Mm. You arrived somewhere else and you had all these ideas about Holland and how you were going to be there, but then suddenly you're somewhere else. And I was so angry when I read that the first time, <laughs> like so angry. I yeah. was like, this is not, this feels hurtful that you would give me this piece of paper that because I love my child, but it, but now when I think about it, I'm like, it's so true. Like yeah. I had in my mind that that I was going to Holland and I, I ended up somewhere else. Um, and in the poem, it does say like how great this other place is. Right. And so, so I always keep that in mind, um, that first you have to accept it and accepting it means maybe you have to accept it over and over again before you're fully capturing. And with Asher being so young, it is, it is sort of this thing where we're learning as we go. So we're accepting mm-hmm. new things all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you mentioned somebody, um, having a kiddo who didn't say mom or doesn't say mama. And, mm-hmm. um, I sure didn't say mama for the longest time. And he finally did. Um, now he uses it for everything. So I'm not really <laughs> sure if he's actually using it for me. Um, everybody says that he is, but I had to accept at one point that maybe he wasn't going to. And mm-hmm. right now I'm in this space of, I'm accepting that maybe he's not going to say anything else uh, verbally and that, that there is communication beyond verbal communication. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of learning. Um, I feel like I went and got like some degree on all of this because I've been bombarded with information. You should. <laughs> well, I think it just speaks to the fact that we as mothers, as parents, everybody has dreams and ideas about what their kid will be Mm -hmm. you know so much of like having a child having a baby is looking to the future like who are they going to be you know especially when they're just a tiny little lump Mm -hmm. and they just eat and 
poop and pee and cry and sleep, you know, you're, you're constantly dreaming about like who they're going to be. And, and part of that dreaming is coming up with your own ideas yeah, based on, you know, what you know, what you hope. And I like, I've heard the, the story of, you know, you thought you were going to Holland, but you're, you actually end up somewhere mm-hmm. else before. And I think that is such a good metaphor because it doesn't like chastise us for having dreams. Yeah. It just sets the expectation of, you know, you're going to dream, like you're going to have ideas of where you're going, but things can and will change. And, mm-hmm. and again, that's true for any kid. I mean, like I have dreams and ideas for my kids and things that I hope for them, but their lives likely will not follow that path that I have set in my mind. Yeah. It'll probably be completely different. Yeah. And so I think that's, I think that's a good story for any parent. In, in this world of mothers who have children with disabilities, um, we call it becoming because you're becoming, and, and I, it's funny because you took her photos when I was pregnant and when I look at them sometimes, um, and I don't think I've said this to you, I look at myself and I don't see myself all the time. Mm. And then when you took his photos, and I'll try not to get too emotional. When when you took the photos at your studio, um, I didn't realize that he was really sick. Mm. I didn't know that that's what was going on. But we went to the emergency room like maybe a week later wow. and almost lost him. And when I look at those photos, I have a lot of emotion because I see it now that he was mm. sick. Um, and I think I'm like, what if those had been like the last photos that I had taken of him? Um, so yeah, so there is this becoming period and it probably is like forever. I mean, I mm-hmm. feel like that's for everybody, <laughs> but it is definitely like a, a crash course of mm-hmm. becoming um, whatever that may be for each individual. Yeah. Oh, that gave me chills. Yeah. <laughs> I never, I never got the chance to tell you that, yeah. um, but he was, that was the week before he went to the emergency room. Yeah. I think back to like my, my undocumented story and that was hard, but this has been a lot harder and, but it's very beautiful. Like it's mm-hmm. not, I'm not like wallowing in the no. feelings, but it is, it has been a lot harder What's to go baby? through it. Yeah. So it's easier I, to deal with shit when it's you, when it's you. Yeah. And I thought, I thought that that was hard back then. And I'm like, wow, like that was, yes, it was really hard, but this is now my child. Yeah. So I can now think of what my mom must have felt like when she had to yeah. leave me here to go get my brother help. Um, that must've been ripping her apart for both of those situations your mom's situation with you and your situation with asher is you know there's a degree a sense of powerlessness i mean Mm -hmm. you can only do so much in both situations Mm -hmm. and when you're the one going through it so when you were the the you know going through the process or going through the experience of being an undocumented immigrant you know you also have a sense of powerlessness to a degree but but it's your experience but when you're watching your child go through it i mean you you can't live that for them no like he is you can't do anything about it yeah i mean you can help him through it you can be there to support you can advocate for him but ultimately like this is his experience and he's the only one Mm -hmm. who can go through it and you're 
alongside him, but you can't do it for him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's with everything. Like, I can, we do everything that we can to help him. Like, right now we're in this stage of, I, I know he wants to walk, but he, his body hasn't mm-hmm. quite caught up to it yet. Mm-hmm. And so we're working on that. And And I see him doing things that are risky. And I want to help him and do it for him, mm-hmm. but I can't. And that's a lesson for any parent, too, mm-hmm. with any child. Like, you can't do it for them. Mm-hmm. They have to figure it out. Um, it's just that with Asher, figuring it out is taking a lot longer, a lot more help. Um, and we don't know when the end result will be. Mm-hmm. He's very um, opinionated, which is funny. <laughs> like, we always talk about in uh, speech, he... Um, He'll get, like, he won't want to do something, and then he'll, like, act, like, super upset, like, I'm having a miserable time. And then as soon as we get up to walk out, he starts smiling at everybody and waving. (laughs) And we're like, you knew this whole time that if you acted this specific way that we would get to leave early. Um, And and, And now you're happy. Yeah, and you'll have, like, some ornery smile, and, and we know, like... He got what he wanted. He, he got what he wanted. Yeah. So that's been like a, a challenge for me because his first few months of life, we couldn't let him cry it out because of his heart condition. Right. So I'm having to kind of, at times, because he's two, so he throws two-year-old tantrums. Right. Um, so, so you're I'm having ha- to decipher what. Yeah. I'm like, is on. there something you're trying to communicate to me yeah. or like, do just I just. Are you being a two-year-old? Yeah. Are you being a two-year-old and like, you need, you need to sit down and like, think about it. Yeah. Um. And it's very frustrating for the both of us, like That's a hard to try to figure straddle. out. It is, yeah. Because I'm sure you're imagining the guilt if like something is wrong, and you were thinking, "Oh, he was just being a two-year-old." Yeah. And it's, I mean, you can't just treat him like any two-year-old and be like, "You're fine," because yeah. in the back of your mind, you're like, "Are you fine?" Yeah, that is a constant thing we are battling. Where it's like, "Are you actually fine?" And because we also want to, I mean, our whole motto with kids or kids is like we're setting you up to be independent in your Mm -hmm. life and to a degree we can help asher get to that wherever Mm -hmm. that may be but it's like a challenge because it's different than with boston yeah we're like okay you boston like you you understand what i'm saying to you right now and you um need to take like responsibility for actions or whatever it is um with in mind that she's like seven. So, yeah. Um, but with Asher, it's always get kind of second guessing of like, oh, maybe you needed something and I just said no or whatever it is. Um, it's definitely a challenge. That's just, that's, that's just a hard line to straddle. I remember when I was a kid and I'm sure Asher will do this one day too, like taking advantage. This sounds so bad, but like, you know, once <laughs> I was like in junior high, high school, taking advantage of the fact that I knew that my mom wasn't quite sure. Like, mm-hmm. you know, she always kind of gave us the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. You know, if I said, I don't want to go to school today, I don't feel well. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause you know, were a kid too. Well, I was you know? a kid, so I was a little shit, but, <laughs> but you know, like maybe I just didn't want to go to school that day, but I knew if I said I didn't feel well, that she would like heed to that and heed that and be like, okay, like you can stay home. I, you know, I'm not going to push you because I know that, you know, when you're sick with CF, like you need a lot of rest. And so mm-hmm. um, I would totally take advantage of that. And so I imagine it was very hard for her to know when to push and yeah. when to let off the gas. 
and, you know, be gentle with me, but also knowing that, you know, she had the same goal that Mm -hmm. you did to raise independent people who can, you know, run their own lives, advocate for themselves, you know, function on their own, you know, or to whatever degree that may be. Um, But then also realizing that like kids are going to be kids Mm -hmm. and you kind of have, you have to be like the parents still and try to decipher like, are they just being a assholes you know 14 year old right now or is or is she being a kid with cf who needs a break Mm -hmm. so as you're doing all this learning how are you like taking time for yourself to care for your mental physical emotional health um because it's a heavy load yeah it's um it's easier some days than others um i do a lot of things and um my brain tends to want to be busy a lot um so I have to force myself to, and this is something I'm learning to like do nothing. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, you're gonna watch TV, and like, literally, that's it's okay yeah. because I'm the type of person who will sit there watching TV and be like, oh, I could be doing this, or I could be doing yeah, that, or trying I could... to be productive. Yeah, yeah. So I have to like sh- just give myself permission. Um, but gardening is a big part of my life. I remember as a child, always like loving plants. And that's like having this sense of calm when I was around plants and nature. And so, and maybe that's all of us, but it's been really helpful to, to garden. And I've shared some of that on my social media. And sometimes I don't want to, because it is this thing that is very calming and therapeutic to me. And it doesn't need to be for anybody else, but myself, um, but I happen to also work in a place where gardening is like a big deal. I mean, our magazine's mostly about gardening and our uh, event. And so I'm surrounded by it a lot. Um, and so I, I decided to go through the master gardening program here in our area. So it's a pretty intensive training for several months before you get um, to be an actual master gardener. And then you have to fulfill so many hours every year. And I'm not going to lie. There was a moment where I was like, I want to quit this because this is time commitment that Mm -hmm. I don't know if I have because I have two kids and a job. And every time I show up, I have such a great experience and I learn so much from these people that are much older than I am. So, so yeah, so it, it was to deepen my knowledge, but also to create this space for myself where I can be around plants as much as I can possibly be. Um, And that's why sometimes I'm like, I want to keep this gardening thing to myself. So I want to uh, end with some fun Q&A questions. The first one being, what's your favorite thing about yourself, like as far as like your character? Yeah, I didn't know this before, but it's definitely part of my ADHD, but I actually love it and just how easily I can – forgive and forget something (laughs) I don't like stew on something for very long sometimes that is a challenge in marriage because something will happen and I let go of whatever it is very quickly and five minutes later you've already forgotten yeah I'm like it's fine we're all good and but I do love that about myself because I don't hold on to like grudges I think it's cool too when you can find 
like positives in a thing that's supposed to be negative, Mm -hmm. right? Like an ADHD diagnosis is like supposed to be like a negative thing, you know, like, oh shoot, I have this thing. But then when you find positive aspects Mm -hmm. of it that you like, I think that's, I think that's really cool to be able to pull those things out and be like, yeah, I have this thing that like, you know, um, is a challenge for me in some areas, but in some areas it brings me qualities that I really enjoy about myself. It's only frustrating when I'm like, I need to get this thing done and it's not happening. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What's something that you appreciate in other people? I think it goes back to like what we were saying earlier. I really, I appreciate when people aren't trying to cover up whoever they are, like that they show up and they're very transparent. What's something that you're really grateful for right now? So I'm very grateful for the support system that we have right now. Um, My mom has been a great support with Asher. She takes care of him when I'm working and um, I know he's in great hands and that's been really helpful. What's a favorite book of yours or favorite books? My favorite book, I think, there's so many books, but um, this book is called In the Country We Love. And it was mm-hmm. released in 2016 by Diane Guerrero, who was in Orange is New Black. Mm. And it's her immigration story. Oh, cool. Um, and it's, the reason I love it is because she was, um, she was not undocumented herself, but her parents were deported back to Colombia and she was a child when it happened so she talks about that and what I found really powerful was that she shared this right as she was in the midst of her career as an actress or actor and um, it was really powerful to read because I could relate yeah having lost my dad and my brother by getting deported so like I could see myself in that story What's something that you want people to know about immigrants? So I thought about this one last night because I was reading it, and um, I I was like, I don't want to be like, we're all humans too, you know? (laughs) Um, But I think that often, like, I meet people that have immigrated. um, Maybe they're undocumented. Maybe they're not. Um, but they are like, like we're all, we have a lot more similarities than we have differences. Yeah. Um, and if we can connect through those similarities, then I find that, um, we can be more understanding of each other. Yeah. Uh, so I think if I were to say like, what's something I want people to know is like when I was going through a lot of that. And, and still today that I just wanted to feel seen and understood and that I was, maybe I was going through this journey, but I was not that different from you or whoever. Yeah. Um, and if you took a second to, to get to know me, then you might understand. Get in. Thank you so much yeah. for chatting with me today. Thank um, you. I feel like we definitely covered some important topics. Um, and hopefully, as is the goal with all of these episodes, uh, people come away with like a greater understanding of an experience that maybe they haven't gone through themselves.
Thanks for listening to the Makers, Dreamers, Doers podcast with me, Morgan Barrett. Please remember to follow, review, and share this podcast with anyone who you think would enjoy it. Your support helps more people find the podcast. You can also find me on Instagram at morganbarrett underscore underscore and check out my website for more information at morganbarrett.co.